Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over a hundred casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. Eighteen plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChumbaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to the 1865 Forest Ramble. Uh, today we have a special guest. We're delighted to be joined by Elliot Stanley, who's the chair of the Nottingham Forest Supporters Trust. Hi there, Elliot. How are you doing? Irish, yeah, good, thank you. Excellent. Um, Baz is with us as well. Um, and Baz, if you want to you get started. Um, so, okay, let's start right at the beginning. So what is the Supporters Trust? What is it that you do? Who do you represent? How do you do your work? All that kind of stuff. Really. Yeah, so um, Supporters Trust, we're, we're a, a, a democratic um, society, effectively a community benefit society in, in legal speak. Um, so a not-for-profit organisation, you know, nobody can make a profit from from being part of the trust either, you know, on, on the board or any other member. There's, there's no way of making a profit from, from being part of this organisation um, and, and everybody that's involved are, are volunteers. Um, so it's, it's a fairly established model um, across both the UK and, and wider. There's a number of supporters trust style organisations in Europe as well. Um, and, you know, we came to the party quite, quite late, actually, in terms of... Um, supporters trusts being being up and running for, for a club of the stature of forest and, and perhaps you could argue a club that has been through what we've been through we, we were very late getting uh, getting off the springboard to setting one up um so there's a number of established trusts out there um, and in terms of you know how do we how do we go about our work how do we how do we operate the whole premise of, of being a supporters trust is that we're, we're wholly democratic. So anybody can join with completely open membership. Any of those members can stand to be part of our board. Um, and when we have board elections, you know, we open that up to the full membership and also give non-members an opportunity to join to become a member so that they can then stand for election to the board. Um, so th- th- there's a really kind of critical core of, of serving the, the community that we represent. So a lot of the work that we do you know, is not really connected with 
senior football, if you like. It's connected with the community of Nottingham Forest. It's connected with things that we can do to help that community, you know, however tenuously they might be connected to Nottingham Forest. We've done a lot of work recently around mental health. Um, we do a lot of work with a charity called Hope, which was previously kind of centred on um, food banks and, and, and food collection for, for people in need across the local community. But we've moved that now into a sort of broader set of aims around both mental health and supporting people through through Christmas. You know, thankfully, the food banks are in, in good supply at the moment. We've been able to, to diversify that further. Right. And um, I mean, you talked about mental health um, just so um, so everyone who's listening is aware. Um, we've also recently done an interview with Bethany Didsbury, who uh, was awarded a, uh, you know, uh, had a prize of a forest shirt given to her for all, you know, as a recognition of her, uh, you know, contribution towards the work that forest and the community are doing. Um, and that's something that is linked to the work of the trust, isn't it, Elliot? Yeah, so we we did an interview with with Beth as well, uh, and and how she'd sort of got in touch with um, the community trust and how they've helped her, and we're forging very strong links with the community trust at the moment. Um, you know, we've we've found sort of a a really um, a really mutually beneficial um, relationship there, where we can we can help them push things forward, and you know, really just sort of help promote some of the work they do. So the stuff that they do through the Tricky Hub really is, is all centred in giving people an opportunity to come together and, and talk about, you know, some, some issues or challenges they might be having. And, and I think that probably encapsulates Beth's story in terms of just having an outlet where she can get involved and, and express how she feels about certain things. And, and football is a routine for that. You know, it's a routine for many people. It's a, it's an icebreaker. It's an opportunity to connect with people that, you know, traditionally would, would perhaps not get involved in, in that sort of setup or, or perhaps not be compelled to, to speak about issues that they might be having. Um, so we're trying to support that quite heavily. Um, we, we ran a um, mental health awareness course uh, a couple of weeks ago that was, that was really well attended. Um, we funded some of that from, from trust funds um, and, and had members come and join and, and take part in that to, to just give people a, a better awareness of mental health conditions and what they can do to, to potentially help people that they know or have contact with that might be going through similar things. Yeah, and um, uh, with Beth's story, I mean, the thing that came out quite strongly was the importance of talking and having a community around you. So, um, so do do keep an eye on our feed um, because I think that's it's very much a story worth worth um, hearing, particularly in light of the way in which many people have have struggled in in what's been a really turbulent year. Um, before we go any further. I'm just going to uh, bring in Tom Newton. So, um, listeners to our podcast, you may have heard Tom's voice. Um, as part of our discussions and I spoke to Tom recently to ask about his involvement and motivation in starting the trust. I'm joined by uh, one of the other architects of the Nottingham Forest Supporters Trust, uh, a familiar voice on this podcast, Tom Newton. How are you doing, Tom? I'm good, thank you. Excellent. So you were one of the founder members of the trust in many ways. Tell us about how the idea came into your head and, and, and who you collaborated with. Um, basically, it was around about 2015. Um, it just got to a point where the fans didn't have like a like a really good voice w- within the club. Um, it was a case of like um, social media and then nothing really happened. So I thought it'd be best to um, 
with me and um, my friend um, Richard Ancliffe to start up a, like a supporters trust. And at the start, we were like really educated ourselves, making sure it is the right thing to do, not just have like a, a noisy group uh, from the stands. It was basically do things the right way. And um, the supporters trust was like backed by the um, supporters direct. Um, so basically we said to, uh, well, we educated ourselves and then we started asking around if it was uh, a viable thing to do. And um, so we had a couple of meetings with supporters direct and see if it's the right thing to do. So we met with the, um, the late uh, Jackie Forster um, back in, it was Christmas 2015 now. And um, we like looked at this and think, well, is this the right thing to do? What we actually would like the trust to be. And then it just went from there um, really. But it, I think it was like born out of frustration really, because um, a few months previous, Stuart Pierce got the sack and that wasn't the trigger where it's like, let's start a supporters trust. It was like um, with Paul Faulkner um, having the role as CEO for about six months and he was getting frustrated with the uh, how things were being run at Forest and he wasn't, being, um, wasn't allowed to do things. So I thought this, something needs to happen where the club, I don't mean to be like a noisy, um, noisy group, but it's like being a bit of a, like a critical friend. So when um, it was like, right at the start of like, yeah, 2015, 2016, it was kind of like, well, we need to do something because a fan base, because I think I was just getting annoyed with the um, how the club was being run by the previous owner. And then we just got people around who were like, had the same beliefs. Then back in, um, like I say, um, 2016, we uh, had the open meeting around about the April, um, about, um, I think it was 120 people um, attended the Albert Hall in Nottingham. And um, we had the uh, the open vote if it was viable, and then um, the majority says the um, supporters trust was viable for the for the whole fan base, really. So yeah, it started from there, really. Okay, and um, you mentioned there about the idea of it being an open vote and the idea of the trust being something that is basically a democratically elected organisation. Um, where did that come from? Is that from the advice that Supporters Direct gave you? Um, yeah, pretty much. There's like, uh, it's like um, a load of rules, uh, what you can basically, you sign up to do the rules, then over time you can take rules out and like um, bespoke it how you want the trust uh, to be. But seeing we're going in this, like, we've not done this before, we thought, well, it's best to listen to a organisation who know how to do these things and do it properly. So we had like the set rules and we took it from uh, there really, because like I said, there's no point as not making rules up just between me and Richard at the time. So when we had the interim board, we'd, we had a look at it and what rules we like to have in place, etc. And then it's gone from there really. Then obviously the, over time, the trust has evolved with the, um, with the membership and things have obviously the proper tweak things. And like I said, I'm not on the, um, the board anymore. I was just, at the start of it so but like things like that to say it's just a matter of um having listening to an organization to get you set up really then once you obviously you've got your head around things and etc then uh, you can evolve and take it how where you want to take it you see as a um, as a group or as a supporters trust as it is okay so uh, at the risk of kind of opening up a wound why is it you're not involved in the board anymore um reason being is that I always said at the start that um, I was quite happy to um, walk away from it because at the end of the day, 
I'm just a normal fan who wants the best um, for our football club. So um, it takes up a lot of time. Um, I've got a, a job and etc. and I've got other interests. So I just like wanted to plant the seed along with others. And once um, the elections um, come about, it's like people were probably had a better um, skill set than me. And I was just happy to like, well, I've helped um, create something and I was happy to um, walk away and let other people obviously build on the foundations, what we built back in 2015, you see. So I'm still like an active member, um, but it's like, it's just time consuming now. And I'm just happy to try and support my football team in the best way I can. Okay. Um, and then finally, for now, um, question that I've been asking Elliot as well, or will be asking Elliot. Um, so what are your responses to the accusations from some fans that the, the Supporters Trust is just a mouthpiece for the club? I, th- I think that's harsh, because um, at the end of the day, uh, people, I think when people look at the Supporters Trust, it's like, oh, it's just the politics side of things. But in the end, we we do want the best for our um, club and they've done it in a, I know obviously everybody's not going to be agree with the supporters trust, but it is a democratic um, group, you see, Um, and with supporters direct, well, it's actually called the football supporters um, association. Now at the end of the day, um, UEFA um, set out some guidelines. I think it was a few years ago that a football club has to sit down um, at least twice a year to speak to representatives of, a fan group and um and saying it's democratically led um people think oh it's just it's just the trust i mean everybody at the end of the day we all want the best but saying it's an official um supporters trust and they think it's that is the only group who can speak to the people get a bit cheesed off with it and i can see why people say it but it's an official supporters trust, you see, but that's not like discounting what Fours and the other supporters clubs do, because at the end of the day, collectively, we all want the best for Nottingham Forest. But um, it's saying um, the supporters trust is um, obviously backed by um, support, well, Football Supporters Association. They're the, they are the guidelines set by UEFA, and saying it's an official um, organisation, then obviously they can go and speak to the club on a um, a few times a year, you see, but I can see why people get a bit uh, upset why it's always the trust, but it's just how things are. But like I said, that's not um, saying that that Fours or the other supporters uh, clubs don't have an influence because, um, like I said, we want the same things. Okay, and just as a supplementary to that, two things. So, firstly, those guidelines are set by UEFA. Do you think they're loaded in favour of the clubs? Um, I think it all comes down to um, the organisation of the club um, because some clubs are like really open fan, um, they want fans to be have a great influence in the club and some others don't want that, you see. So it all depends on the organisations, how the club's set up. I think it's more like a, a European-based model where if you look in Germany, uh, fan influence is um, heavily favoured by the by the clubs over there. But over here, I think it's quite a new thing and it's certainly slowly... Um, getting traction over the last couple of years as the um, as it's built up, you see. And also, I mean, Forza have just recently done a, you know, had a conversation with the club, and obviously the trust are going to have a conversation with the club. Do you think it undermines the role of organisations like the trust when 
groups like Forza have that dialogue? Um, not really, because at the end of the day, Forza might have like different questions where that might be more about, say, for example, um, you know, with the displays and things like that, they might have a different set of questions, whereas the trust might um, go into it in a bit of a, they want to know how the politics are in the club and, and the direction and the vision and everything. So I think at the end of the day, every, people have like different um, attitudes and opinions on things. But I think if people are, well, both of the groups having um, greater dialogue with the club, then I think it's forms a healthy relationship with the um, the people like uh, Nick Randall and um, etc. who are running the club um, on a day-to-day basis. Okay. All right. Tom Newton, thank you very much. Elliot, how many of the people involved in founding the Trust are still involved now, either at a board or just in a more broad, broad sense? Um, so in, in a broad sense, I think we, um, we still have quite a lot of the original members. So, so I think if we go back to, you've heard Tom speak about why things got off the ground. And, and, and obviously a lot of that will be linked to the owner at the time and the state of the club at the time. So from a membership perspective, I think there were a lot of people that joined effectively under a banner of get rid of the owner, um, which is perhaps a little bit misaligned with the purpose of the trust. And, and, you know, at the time I certainly joined many um, radio shows and and, and TV shows and and talked about, you know, we'll talk to whoever owns the club. I would have talked to Fawaz and I would talk to anybody that owns the club and, you know, dialogue is paramount. Um, so, so there's perhaps that, that kind of groundswell of, of support for the trust in the early days was around crisis. Um, and, and there are still a lot of members that, that remained with us through that time. Um, at a board level, um, I think there's probably four people still involved that, that were a part of the original board. Um, and we've, we've kind of cycled through. Um, obviously, our, our constitution means that we, we do need to run elections every year and, and replace people on the board. Um, you know, my, my time personally is, is coming to an end and it's my time to, to move on to other things. And, and, and my time as chair will come to an end with, with me stepping down from the board. So, so again, you know, there'll be fresh blood coming in and, and new people with new ideas. Um, and I think that that's important, but, but at the same time, you have to balance that with some, some stability. Um, and I think what's happened in, in the member base is that over the period of time that, that we've really been able to um, develop our relationship with the club and develop our identity as a trust, people that understand and support what we're trying to do have, have naturally kind of joined up and, and started to get involved with stuff. Um, and, and we've seen spikes in membership when you see certain things happening you know so so if we are able to showcase that we're having dialogue with the club over a specific topic or we're able to show that we have contributed something at a national level you will see people joining because they've seen the value they've seen seen the benefit um and it's a balancing act right it's really difficult because we you know we have a member base that pay into the trust um but we try to take a much broader view. You know, we, we don't profess to speak for everybody. It's not our job to speak on behalf of all fans. But we try and get as wide a view as possible. And that involves getting views from members and, and actively canvassing those views. But we also take views from, from other people as well. If somebody contacts us, we'll, we'll take their views regardless of whether they're a member or not. So it's that balancing act between, you know, making sure that those that are involved with the trust and, and pay into it have the opportunity to engage and to give us their views and have their views heard but that we don't just put those in a box and only represent that group, if that makes sense. It's about taking that much wider view 
and, and accepting that not everyone will become an active paid-up member of a supporters' trust. That's absolutely accepted and understood. And just on that subject, um, let me ask you the question. Um, because you do that work, you know, soliciting views from members and non-members, and of course, there's the, at the time that we're recording this um, in, in mid-December, um, you know, you've recently asked for people's questions to put to the, you know, the club hierarchy. But if that's the case... Why is it worth me paying my subs to the trust? So I think, you know, if, if people believe in what we're doing and if people really buy into it, then the only way it can continue is if people do that. So fundamentally taking that to its kind of natural extension, if, if everybody took a view of, you know, I'll get the same service regardless of whether I pay in or not, then ultimately the trust wouldn't exist because there are, there are running costs. So being non-for-profit doesn't mean there aren't costs to operating. But I think wider than that is... And, you know, there are many members that can tell you this, is that our doors open at any point. So anybody can get in touch with us from the member base and say, you know, I've, I've got this thought or query or I've got this this burning question. And, and unless it's completely unreasonable, it will get tabled with the club. And those opportunities are there on a continuous basis. This wider Q&A that we've launched, I think, you know, it comes at probably too late you know it should have been done previously um, and it's something we've pushed for for a while something that we've wanted to do for a while which is a um, an, an open opportunity for anybody to ask questions we'd like to do something a bit more dynamic a bit more like this um, but I think you know we have to kind of appreciate that it's a journey that we need to go on um, and, and take the club with us I, I think there's clearly questions around comms um, and, and I know that those those questions have um, have surfaced recently probably because of bad results you know as it tends to be in football and you know we can perhaps talk a little bit about the club comms and, and what that means for us and how that presents difficulty for us as a trust um, but fundamentally my my message to anybody who is a member of the trust is that what you are paying into is worthwhile what we're doing is worthwhile the, the impact we're having is positive and we can only do that if you're engaged and if you are happy to pay in but not really engage and just sit back and, and watch the work develop that's absolutely fine but also if you pay in you're absolutely open to getting involved more you know come and get involved with us the, the door is always open you know the, the amount of work that we want to do versus the work we can do capacity wise is hugely mismatched so there's always a call for come and get involved if you feel that you know you can operate at board level and, and, and give us something at board level then then do that it's not a small undertaking you know, I kind of joke, but it's not really a joke. This has been like a second full-time job for me for, for the last four years. Um, so, you know, there's an opportunity there for people to get involved with something for the, the future good of our football club um, and, and for the next generations that come along to have something to support that they believe in. Fantastic. So one of the, I just want to come back to something that you sort of mentioned there. So when, when people have something to say, you say that you can table it with the club. So how does that work? How do you meet up with the club and, and who's there? And, and how do, what's the relationship with the club like? Do they actually listen to you and, and, and does it make a difference? Yeah, sure. So um, I don't know whether everyone's aware of, of the memorandum, memorandum of understanding that we signed with the club. Um, so a while back now, we became, I think we were only the third at the time, third club trust relationship in the country to sign this memorandum of understanding that that effectively um, commits us both 
to to ongoing formal dialogue. So you know, minuted, um, you know, happens a certain number of times a year, um, and effectively, what that did at the time is and having conversations with us. Um, what what's developed since then is a much more open and multi-layered relationship i would describe it as so it, it is rare that a day goes by where we do not have some sort of dialogue with somebody at the club um through different mediums but the opportunity the formal opportunity for our members to actually ask something directly of the people that we meet with is there through that mou so it, it means that you know, we will go out to members and say, we are meeting with the club on such and such a date. Please submit anything that you want us to consider, whether it's feedback, whether it's a direct question. And we'll collate all that together. And, you know, sometimes you get three or four people that are asking the same thing. And, you know, that if, if it's got a higher um, number of people asking it, generally it will go to the top of the pile. It's rare we don't get the opportunity to ask everything that we wanted to ask. Um, in terms of attendance at, at those things, so traditionally it's been three or four people from from the board um, who, who will attend. I, I would almost always be there unless work commitments mean I, I can't be. Um, and then there would normally be a couple more people from the board that would, would join me to represent member views. Um, and then on the forest side, it, it can be any mix really of, of people from from the senior team. So that's the executive board. So, so Nicholas Randall, um, Yanis, the CEO, Johnny Owen, the, the um, media and comms director. Um, additionally, David Cook would, would be there if there was stuff that's, that's relevant for him. Um, ben White, head of, head of communications, would be there. Um, generally, anyone we need to be there based on the agenda. Um, and those, those conversations are very open, very honest. Um, you know, nothing's off limits. We, we can discuss anything. And I think what that that sometimes puts us in a difficult situation because people will say, well, if you're told stuff, everybody should be told that, told that stuff. And, you know, I, I understand that. Um, and I consider myself privileged to be in a situation where, you know, at a time when the club's perhaps um, not doing so well on the pitch, I, I get the opportunity to sit and look in the eyes of someone that, that runs the club and, and effectively judge for myself whether I think, you know, their, their heart's in the right place, if you, if you uh, paraphrase it like that. Um, and not everyone gets that opportunity. And, you know, I do not for any second underestimate how much of a privilege that is. But the nature of these sort of conversations are that if you want to have open dialogue, there will be some stuff discussed that will be confidential. That's just the nature of those sort of conversations. And that's the same in every single industry. Um, our challenge, and hence the Q&A that we referred to before, our challenge is to try and surface more information for supporters so that they're, they're better informed so that they can make judgments over fact and not speculation because because what's happening at the moment is the vacuum is being filled with speculation rumor um, and, and and that's effectively driving a narrative that is is quite far from the truth and that's not good for the club um, and and so we hope that this q a is, is perhaps the um, the first step on a road to is, is better informing the supporter base now you'll always get people that will take different opinions you'll always get people that will still believe the situation to be incredibly negative and, and nobody can change that and nobody should try and change that if that is your summation of the facts you're given that's absolutely fine but but my belief is that we just need to make sure people have possession of the facts 
At the 1865 Forest Ramble, we are pleased to work in partnership with Flatback 4. If you haven't checked them out yet, they offer forest-inspired t-shirts, polo shirts, hoodies and jumpers, as well as jackets, kids wear and the Collymore-inspired bobble hat. They sure do. And now we have a special offer for listeners to the 1865 Forest Ramble. If you insert the discount code 1865 at the checkout, you can get a 10% discount on the Nottingham Forest Embroidered Club range. A 10% discount? That sounds amazing. How does that work? You just visit 1865.football slash flatback. Choose something from the Nottingham Forest Embroidered Club range and then enter the code 1865 to receive 10% off and support our podcast at the same time. Amazing. So our listeners can support the podcast and get some great clothing. Yes, for whatever item you buy, if you include the code 1865 at the checkout, you will be supporting our podcast. Can I find the details on social media? Absolutely. Follow 1865 Forest Ramble on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram for all the details. I remember reading about the, the memorandum of understanding. Um, so I didn't realise it was quite that rare amongst clubs and, and trusts in that way. Um, was that set up, I mean, and also you mentioned Burke Board, that the trust came about because of uh, the, the Fawaz time. So was that something that Nicholas Randall set up then, that, that, that we had um, different relationships? Yeah, so, that, so it actually came from us. So um, we have quite a good relationship with all the trusts. Um, in the early days, one of the trusts that we, we took sort of a bit of a lead from, if you like, because their, their club trust relationship was um, was seen as incredibly positive, was Fulham. Um, and, and Fulham and I think Fulham and Norwich were the two prior to us to sign MOUs. Um, and, and so through the dialogue with, with Fulham Supporters Trust, we were aware of something that was a, a good stepping stone. You know, effectively... It provides a bit of a safety net for both sides. You know, it sets out the sort of things that we'll discuss. It sets out the kind of timetable through which we'll discuss them, discuss them how many times a year and so on and so forth. And it just gives a bit of a framework to build around, which we've, we've since done. Um, you know, it's not a legally binding document. It's not something, you know, it doesn't, doesn't mandate that we get a place on the board or anything like that. Um, but it, it, it's a stepping stone to a to a wider conversation. And it just felt like the right thing to do at the time. To be honest, um we took a, um, a draft of an MOU to Nick um, and he shared it with, with the rest of the board and came back with a couple of minor amendments and all good to go, which was surprising. At the time, I expected it to be, you know, this will be a several month thing. Um, but actually, you know, they were, they were totally up for it. And that, that's, that's the kind of um, set the tone, I guess, for the relationship from there. And of course, um, I guess, uh, as Nick Randall's uh, famously a lawyer <laughs> i suspect there may have been some uh, worries about which uh, t's get crossed and which i's get dotted i'm sure um i was just going to um, jump in there and kind of with that subject of the memora- memorandum of understanding um how does it mandate how often you have these dialogues with the club uh it it, it mandates how many we have per year um rather than how often but we try to make them every couple of months. So we try to fit in six a year, you know, once every couple of months. Um, and it, what that means is that those are the, the, the meetings that definitely happen, go on record, 
we ask for member input and that gets taken to the meeting and that's the purpose of that meeting so it means that they can't get derailed by other stuff um and that they, they don't become aobs on a meeting full of other stuff and we don't get time for for um you know direct dialogue from the member base and that's the critical you know our core for being is to connect supporters with the club and to try and channel it and you know my job is not to give my views it's to channel the views of the member base you know we're just a conduit really um and i think what we've tried to achieve is to try and build a relationship that allows that dialogue um it's not for me to tell the club how to run their operations it's for me to provide that bridge that dialogue so that our members and people that aren't members know that that's the service we provide. If, if you know, if I, can, if I can sort of say it as clinically as that, we've set something up that effectively provides a service. It's there to be used. Um, you know, it's not my job to kind of fill the content, and, and I'm not the architect of the content. So, how would you respond to the age-old accusation of the fact that the trust is basically a mouthpiece for the club? Yeah, it's interesting you say that actually, because that, that's what I was going to come on to around. Um, the, the sort of comms piece. So, you know, cards on the table, I, I don't think the club communicate enough. Um, they know I think that, they know we think that, they know our member base think that, you know, we're all sort of aligned on that. Um, and the, the problem that that creates is that we get to have very open conversations. We get to talk about whatever we want to talk about. And we're then in a place where we've got to choose how much of that we communicate. And if we don't communicate enough the allegation is you're not telling us what you're discussing and if we communicate too much we get accused of being a mouthpiece for the club so it's a really difficult one um you know i i do not believe hand on heart do not believe that they have ever seen us like that that they use us to get news out or to to push stuff out there and that they don't want to communicate I, i don't think it's like that at all um i think they perhaps just struggle a little with um, the, the comms at a time when things aren't brilliant. You know, there's a there's a light being shone on the club at the moment because of the league position. You know, that's the, let's let's get it on the table. That's the, the reality of the situation. None of this would be out there if we were fourth. Um, but but that's their issue to fix. You know, we talked about the vacuum and what that does is that. You know, I, I don't look at social media. I don't have any social media accounts. But, but from what I understand, it's awash with all kinds of conspiracy theories and, and speculation. And that's what happens. If you don't take the narrative, other people will. Um, and, and I think, I hope they're starting to learn that. that. One thing that is clear and was clear from the beginning is that they would always rather let the actions do the talking. Um, but the problem is when those actions are we're fourth from bottom that's all people see um and they don't see the wider picture um and and now's the opportunity really for them to start clarifying some of that that wider picture and to just just put people's minds at rest that you know the, the club is on a stable footing on a number of fronts you know this is not a um this is not a a regime that are going to disappear um you know i have no doubt over that they're here for the long haul and they've got plans for for the club to be in a better place both on the pitch and off it yeah and of course um like you say about social media um 
it's basically a bear pit at times when things are not good then people are quite happy to throw kind all kinds of accusations around and quite often with with very little accountability but i think there is a very real um issue here which is that um there is this feeling that the club in terms of the way in which they've conducted themselves they haven't really developed that much of a strategy or if they have it's not clear to many of us as fans what that is and therefore you know there's this school of thought which I agree with which maybe it'd just be good if we hear something from Yanis once in a while just even if it's just a statement it doesn't have to be a Q&A it doesn't even have to be Mr Maranakis because we know that he's got other fish to fry but wouldn't it be good if Yanis does something or even Johnny Owen or you know Nick Randall was uh, you know, front and centre for the first year or two, and we haven't seen or heard much of him. So presumably those are the kinds of issues that you as a trust would take to the club. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we've we've shared that information and that belief more than once. Um, you know, I think there's a there's definitely a desire to to say more, to communicate more. Um, you know, we'll see what we can build upon on top of the Q and A. Um, but I can't I can't mandate that they they put stuff out there. Um and then you know, can't force those people to to speak on camera, as it were. But I, I would agree with you in terms of what that carries. You know, these are respected people that that when they speak, people listen, and for, for good reason. Um, and I, and I think it does it does help. I mean, you're not you're, you're never going to convert the sort of conspiracy theorists. You, you, they're not the target audience, but but the target audience is the kind of periphery. And and, and again, back to if you don't fill the void, someone else will fill it. And and people that are on, on the fence and, and don't have access to any other information, well, stuff becomes plausible, doesn't it? And it becomes more plausible when we're struggling in the league um, because, you know, it sort of shows that, that maybe there are some cracks, maybe there are some problems. And it, you, you can legitimise those by saying, well, you know, we're losing football matches, so something must be wrong. Um, so, yeah, I, I would totally agree with you. And I think, you know, people do need to hear more about all, all manner of, of what's going on. I think this, the strategy thing is always interesting. People will talk about strategy and vision and values. Um, and, you know, I've, I've spent time in, in many big organisations and they're always stenciled on the wall, those words, but, but they're, they're not really kept to once you get into the boardroom or anywhere else. Um, and I think football is an interesting one is that it's timely that we're talking about this now as, as West Brom have just sacked their manager. You know, their strategy is gone. Big Sam's coming in and, and strategy is out the window. You know, all clubs are, are a disaster away from, from the strategy going out the window. Um, and, you know, do any clubs have a, a long-term strategy beyond um, a few games where, where they perhaps have some bad results? You know, they might have an identity underlying their football club, but their strategy will change as soon as they're bottom of the league. That's, that's the reality, because relegation at every level for most clubs is a, is a massive problem. Um, but there are things out there in terms of forest strategy, particularly around the running of the club that I think could be more visible to people. So, you know, when they came in, one of one of the pieces of strategy, if we can call it that, is that Mr. Maranakis underwrites the losses. So that is a strategic decision. He'll underwrite those losses. But one of the other bits of strategy is that David Cook and his commercial team will try and reduce that gap and have done so very successfully. You know, done an amazing job with both hands tied behind their back, if we're honest. You know, it's not an easy sell. Um, you know, an ageing stadium, a uh, championship club, yes, some brand, but, but, you know, it's a difficult one. But they have closed that gap. And, and part of that, moving that strategy to the next level is obviously around the stadium, um, which, which I know is a hot topic.
And, um, you know, we have to talk about Danny Taylor's articles. I mean, there's one very recently, but there's also one a few months ago. And and that, again, raises questions to which there don't seem to have been answers as yet. Um, I'm bringing this up not because I'm saying, well, Danny Taylor said this and as the trust, you need to address it. So I'm doing this because Danny has spoken about being present at meetings where you and other trust members have been present with members of the Nottingham Forest Board. So here we could be talking about communications to do with the stadium and the main stand. We could be talking about uh, the old chestnut, the Miracle Gates. What's happened to the Miracle Gates? Because you were the guys who ended up doing the comms on that and then it's all gone quiet. So you can understand where I'm going with this and as to why people might say, well, what's, what's going on here? Yeah, absolutely. Um... So, I mean, number one, what's going on with the stadium is a global pandemic is not the best time to be trying to get over this this hurdle. Um, you know, that has to be appreciated. Secondly, I, I think regardless of COVID, I think the the target of pulling that stand down in May was optimistic, to say the least. Um, you know, all the indicators seem to suggest that even without the pandemic, we'd have struggled to hit that date because without planning permission, we can't demolish the stand. You know, we get a lot of stuff, people saying there's no one in the stadium. Surely now's a great time to pull down the stand. In theory, that sounds great. In practice, that's just not how it works. Um, everything we're told, so we ask about the stadium and the gates, and I'll come on to the gates, but the stadium, we ask about it that and FFP are standing items every single time we meet the club. We ask about them every time. Um, and, and the narrative's usually pretty much the same. Um, and that's around, you know, we're trying to get over this, this planning hurdle. Um, now, I appreciate, given what we've been through as a fan base, that there would be um, some hesitation to, to believe the glossy brochures. But I balance that with, you know, you get, you get the likes of Benoit involved, um, you know, you, you spend huge sums of money, let's just say huge sums of money, but we are talking a lot of money on getting this, the project to this stage. You don't do all of that if it's just window dressing. Um, you know, you, you just don't. But it's complex. It's very complex to, to, to do what they want to do on the banks of the trend, an iconic location, three councils involved, you know. I think most people that have been through a planning project domestically will know how difficult it is with one council, never mind three, when you're trying to build something the scale that they're trying to build. Um, so, you know, our our comms on that have always been what the club has told us, and that is they're absolutely dedicated to the stadium redevelopment. You know, there are planning hurdles to get over. Um, and I know there's questions over the residential block and, and you know is that critical to the project i don't know the answer to that um but it's in it's been asked several times in the q a and we will ask that question um the gates um you know we've asked about them several times in in line with the stadium redevelopment and every single time it's committed it's something that we want to do we've always said exactly where those gates go depend on many things because where, if the planning changes in terms of how we can um, set out the ground, where those gates should be could change. They may not look great just plonked in the middle of an open plaza in front of a new main stand. Um, but, you know, perhaps the, the club could be clearer on, on stuff like that. But our expectation is that it will happen. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and, and as with so many things in so many different walks of life and definitely in loads of different workplaces, I think communication is a really is a really key thing. There, And that's something we keep coming back to, isn't it? Um, Baz, over to you. 
Um, yeah, so the, the, just on the communication front, uh, yeah, so I mean, I'm, I'm as guilty as you say, if, if there isn't a communication, then it gets filled with speculation, and I'm as guilty as anyone about that. Uh, we talk as a podcast that does frequent match reports, we try and fill in the gaps, and, and, and it's probably not the best thing, but we don't really have much choice about that. Um, what I just wanted to get to is basically, you, know, you talked a bit about values and vision and brands and how some, sometimes that stuff goes out the window in, when it comes to the real world. Um, what about the trust? Does a, the trust have a vision for the future? How, how do you see your relationship with the club moving forwards? Yeah, so my, and, you know, so touching what I said earlier, obviously my kind of, owing to you know, growing family and work commitments, my time sort of coming to an end and I've done four year shift and I need a little bit of time back in my life. Um, but my vision remains, and it had always been, that the trust will, will live on for many generations. I, I said to many people when I first got involved, and I actually only got involved, went to the open meeting to offer a little bit of help. So it was, I'm not quite sure how I ended up chairing this thing for this amount of time. But, um, you know, th- these things kind of uh, sort of get away with you, if you like. Um, but, but my vision was always that we'd continue to make gains. If I'm being kind of tangible about it, I, I would like at a point in the future, the trust to have some sort of observing capacity on the club's board. So some sort of opportunity to be embedded um, in the club, um, preferably in a, in a, um, a legal context so that it's protected um, and it's not um, it's not person-specific. So, you know, we'll let you on the board because it's you, but, but the next incumbents of the, the trust board know. Um, you know, I, I think that's the sort of place that we, we need to move towards. Um, and, and when I say that in the wider sense, in, in a football sense, not just a, a forest and trust sense. Um, the, the other thing, sort of looking inwardly into the trust, one of the things that I'd love to see happen is a, is a real diversification of the member base, the people involved in the board. You know, we'd, we'd love to do more across the sort of diverse community of Nottingham. You know, football, it... it it, it remains sort of quite a um, quite a narrow demographic in terms when we do surveys and we, we ask sort of you know the usual questions um, about ethnicity, about sexual orientation, you know about background, about all all of these different things. It's quite a narrow um, demographic, and that doesn't reflect Nottingham. And, and, and I'd really like to to look at what we can do to to grow that member base so that we can better reflect the Nottingham community rather than, you know, what you might see in the stands, because I genuinely believe, and, and actually if you think about a 35,000-seater stadium, you need to be more inclusive to be able to fill that. But it's also the right representation of, of our community, you know, to be able to say that we're welcoming to everybody. Um, and, and that's the way that we've always tried to, to operate as a trust. But I think what, what we need to do is move to a more tangible place where... Um, you know, that's actually visible um, in the member base and at board level. Ab, thank you so much, Elliot. Um, you've given us loads and loads of bits of information that I think even as a, a member of the trust, you know, I've paid my subs and uh, and there's loads of stuff there that, that you just don't know. And um, what's very clear is uh, obviously as, as, a, as a trust board, you've got a number of people from a variety of professional backgrounds and, and that's clearly informing the work that you do. It's also very clear that um, having a trust doesn't automatically guarantee that there's going to be positive results in terms of how the club engages with the fan base. It's got to be a, a lot of work on, on, on all sides by the sounds of it. Um, if people want to find out more, if people want to join the trust, 
uh, where can they do that? If anybody goes to nffctrust.org, everything you need to know is on there. You can sign up, you can find more, out more about what we do, the sort of stuff we've done. You know, there's write-ups from meetings with the club. You know, you can, you can read minutes from our meetings and all sorts. Yeah, so um, I would say that uh, to anyone listening, go out and make up your own mind about whether you think the trust is, is worthwhile rather than just believing what you do or do not read on social media because I think there is a bigger picture there um and you know I'm not swaying you either way make up your own mind um thank you very much to Tom for joining us and giving us a story about how the trust started thank you Elliot for that insight into your role as chair into what the uh, trust have been up to in the last few years um Baz over to you uh, yeah, I just wanted to add, so very, very quickly. Uh, so one of the things this year has shown is that it's it's also the supporters that really, really matter to some extent. It's um, it's we kind of make the club. So what you're doing is fantastic. So thank you again for your time today. Um, we don't really talk about this very often, but if you do like our match reports and our discussions and our interviews and stuff like that, I'd really, really appreciate it if you could leave us a review on your podcast app or whatever it is, however you listen to us, because it helps other fans find what we're doing and so that you can get more of these interviews and stuff like this. Um, thank you very, very much for listening and joining us through this quite turbulent year. Network. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.